Awesome. Hey, we're starting a new series today called Multiply. You. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your excitement. Thrilled. Uh, it is uh, Disciples Made, Nations Changed. So this is where we want to we see disciples made and we want to see nations change. And this is God's plan for world transformation is discipleship. We find it in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We have read this here so many times, and uh, we're going to keep reading it and keep proclaiming it and keep declaring it until we all fully get it and are living in the fullness of it. Amen? Yeah. All right, so it says, Jesus came to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a really good start, a really good foundation to lay for world transformation is when all authority has been given to one person and we are under his lordship, we are under his authority, so we then get to walk in that authority. So he says, go therefore, because all authority has been given to me, I now commission you as my disciples to go and make more disciples of all nations, baptizing them or immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So today I'm just focusing on that first word in the Great Commission, go. Really important word, and if we don't get this word, then the rest doesn't flow. And over the next few weeks, a bunch of different people are going to share and just talk about these different elements of the Great Commission. So discipleship is God's way of transforming people, and it's God's way of transforming nations. So when we read that word, go and make disciples of all nations, that word nations is, is ethnos in the Greek, so it's like all ethnicities would be discipled. And we need to look at this not just from a personal place, but also from the corporate dimension of that. So not just that individuals within nations would be discipled, but actually whole entire people groups would be discipled, would, would learn the ways of the kingdom, would come to know Jesus as their king, and then would participate in bringing the reality of God's kingdom of heaven to earth into all of those places. How exciting is that to consider an entire nation being discipled to follow Jesus? It's amazing, but that is the plan of Jesus. That's what he's laid out to us and he's given us to actually go and accomplish. So we're not sitting around doing other things, waiting for God to accomplish that. The reality is if we don't go, it won't get done. That's a weighty responsibility to carry. Do you agree? So discipleship goes beyond just getting people saved and it's the essential component needed for transformation of people to look more like Jesus and nations to look more like heaven. So we need to evangelize. We need to proclaim the kingdom of God, declare this new established rule and reign of Christ. But then we need to disciple people into that reality. So it's God's idea. And he tells us to go and to accomplish that thing. But I don't know about you, if we look across the church, maybe if you examine your own life, Do you consider yourself to be one who is being discipled and one who is making disciples? Just take an honest look and say, am I being discipled by Jesus? And am I making disciples of other people? Or am I just kind of filling up my life with different Christian activities, different personal responsibilities, going about my day, not doing bad things, but not necessarily accomplishing the very thing that God told me to do. Oftentimes we'll even, we, we want to know our destiny in God. God, what is my destiny? What's the plan that you have for my life? 
But the plan that God has for your life and every single Christian's life is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. If you want a life goal, you want some purpose, you want some meaning in your life, it's right there for you. And Jesus, as it is a commission, he partners with you to fulfill that reality. So are we taking God's word seriously? Or are we ignoring him and just staying busy doing other things? If you're not making disciples, you're, you're being disobedient to what God has said. That's the harsh reality. But we need to, we need to be confronted with that reality, do you think? I'm okay to be confronted with truth because truth sets us free. Hallelujah. Do we need to look at this commission and go, it's this heavy, weighty responsibility? No. Look, it's weighty, but God promises to be with us in that process. So we know there's a partnership. You You want to know what God's doing? You want to be present with God? You want to experience more of his presence? Then go and do what he's doing. And what he's doing is making disciples of all nations. You want to experience more of the fullness of God? Go with him where he is going. Discipleship is an invitation into a new reality and a new relationship. So evangelism is where we invite people into a new reality, which is God and his kingdom. So Jesus came proclaiming the the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. Hey, good news, everyone. I've come here and I've established my kingdom on this earth, and it's right before you, and you can today taste it, see it, and experience it, and then live within this new reality. That's what Jesus came to establish on earth. So evangelism is the invitation, but discipleship is actually where we help others to learn how to live in this new reality. So we don't just present this idea to someone, and we say, hey, I'm going to help you to experience this reality. Maybe for you, you're feeling like, I'm not sure if I'm experiencing the reality of the kingdom. It's just a really good place to start. You've got to be a disciple before you can make disciples. Otherwise, you're leading people into a place that you've never been before. And I've met many Christians who they would call themselves Christians, but maybe later in their life, they actually became disciples. That was my experience. I I didn't grow up in the church. I was 16 when I ended up you know, starting to go along to a church. And, uh, and it was a few years before I actually, before God actually got hold of my heart and I chose to follow him. And I was doing lots of good stuff and people would have been affirming me, hey, Brad's doing great stuff. He's helping out here. He's doing different things. I was doing the best to live a different life. But I wasn't a disciple of Jesus. I wasn't a laid down, sold out lover and pursuer of him. So without discipleship, it's like people get to taste the meal without consuming the meal. So they're left unsatisfied. I see this oftentimes, people, and they'll pray for someone on the street and they get saved. And and my concern is, but where do they go from there? What is their experience of God after that point? They might have a, a radical encounter, but then they're kind of just left to fend for themselves. And if we think of that when someone is born again, What happens when you're born? You're a little baby, defenseless. You need that nurture. You need that support. You need those people around you to actually help you to learn how to live in this world. Does a baby know how to exist in the world? 
No, it needs parents around it to help to teach it how to live in the world, how to fend for itself, how to, how to get its own nurture. But there's a time where that nurture is coming from the parents as they're leading them. Without discipleship, people can see the kingdom, but they can't actually experience it for themselves. And my concern is a lot of Christians live in this place. They know all the stuff. They've heard all the sermons. They've read all the scriptures. And yet their experience of God is lacking. It's deficient. Because no one actually taught them, this is how you live in this new reality. Many have been evangelized. Many have said yes to Jesus. But many have not been discipled, so they don't know how to live with God in his kingdom. John 14, 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus didn't birth disciples and then leave them alone to such a degree that even though he had to ascend to go back to the Father, he then sent his spirit to dwell inside every disciple. Now, again, when we talk about discipleship, we're not wanting to create this environment where people become dependent upon other people. Discipleship is, if I'm discipling you, it's me helping you to become dependent upon Jesus, to become dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But that takes time to do that. You know, the the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So follow my example as I follow after Jesus. And as you do so, you will learn what that is to, to follow me. So we make disciples of Jesus, not disciples of ourselves, but we have a part to play in that discipleship foundation and laying of things. Jesus was with them 24-7. It was really important to him. And I it's it would be lovely. I know if we had 24-7 to give to people to disciple them. We probably could. We could probably choose to do that if we wanted to. Just give up our job, our life, and then just go wander around the streets with people following after us. It's an option. Um, anyone keen for that? Yeah? No? Okay. Um, so, yeah. But what, we, but what we can do is invite people into our lives as we go about our lives. So it doesn't have to be a sit-down you know, study moment, set apart time. I've had plenty of time. We'll, we'll, I was chatting with Greg, I think, the other day and just talking about sometimes like people, if you, if you want to be disciple, just come and spend time where I'm at. And in the midst of that place, you'll actually probably learn more about Jesus through following the example, through the, the daily interactions than you might reading from a book or going through some sort of study. So the modern church has in many t- places created an orphan-hearted people because they've left them alone to fend for themselves and haven't discipled them. So where evangelism has been strong and discipleship has been weak, what happens is we birth a whole lot of orphans. And then you get the world's perspective looking at the church saying, these people are hypocrites. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Yeah, I love what Jesus teaches, but I don't see it being set as an example in the church. 
I see the opposite side. I see this, this God of love, and then I see this people of hate. So we understand that it's actually incredibly important that people that disciple, not just to know all the right things, but actually to live them out in their everyday life because we are the gospel being proclaimed to the world, not just through the words that we speak, but also the lives that we live. So we start the Great Commission with the word go, the call to go. Go equals movement. It equals action. It equals a a choice in our behavior to go after this reality. It's a choice that we make, a commitment to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. If we commit and stay, then disciples won't be made. So we need to commit and go. We need to say, yes, Lord, I am yours. You are mine, and now I choose to go. It involves action. It's not sitting around hoping one day that maybe disciples will show up. It would be like if I asked you to bake me a cake for my birthday and you sat around, next minute there's a a ring on the door, bell, and you go out, there's a cake sitting there and then you come and present it to me. Here you go, here's your birthday cake. So we didn't actually do what I said. I said, can you make me a cake? He said, oh, yes, but I, well, I got you a cake. Well, it's not the same. Somebody else made that cake. Now, again, I, I know that there is Christians who need to be discipled, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people uh, maybe coming into a different Christian environment where discipleship happens and they learn. I know many people even in this community who would have said, I've been a Christian for a long time, but it wasn't until I came here that I became a disciple of Jesus. And that's not us. It's just because our focus and our intentionality is We want you not just to know about him. We want you to experience the fullness of God. We want you to express the fullness of God. But it's very different if if God says, I want you to go and you to do this thing, and then we kind of sit around hoping that God's going to do it. It means intentionality on our behalf that we're going to go out to the places. And again, it doesn't mean going somewhere else. It's when you go to work. Another translation of that can be as you go. So as you go to work, make disciples. As you go to the shopping center, make disciples. As you go about your daily life, make disciples. Seek it out, but be intentional about what you do and what you hope and are going to kind of have the expectation to come about. There has to be intentionality about our lives to see this come about. And we're going to talk about the reality of what it means to make disciples. We're going to talk about what it means to to baptize or immerse people in the reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be trained to actually obey the commands of Jesus, not just to learn them, but actually walk them out in your life. And then what it means to actually be the commissioner and the sender of others. Romans 10, 14 to 15 says, How then... Will they call on him? This is speaking of those who don't know Jesus. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? I don't know any Christian who would say, I don't want the world to know about Jesus. I, don't, I feel like I don't need to ask for a show of hands as to like, 
Who wants the world to know Jesus? I think we'd all be lifting up our hands. So we all have the same desire. Yes, God, we want people to know you. We want people to fall in love with you. I want my family or my friends, my work colleagues, my sporting team, everyone, Lord. I want my neighbors to know you. So you and Jesus, we all have the same heart. We want people to know him. And the apostle Paul says, well, how are they going to know? How can they call on Jesus if they've never believed in him? It's not going to happen. And how are they going to believe in him who they've never heard about? And how are they going to hear unless somebody actually speaks to them and proclaims the goodness of God to them? And how are they to proclaim unless they are sent out? We tend to have more of a bring culture than a send culture in the church. This is a sending church. We are an apostolic people because Jesus is an apostle. He was the chief apostle. We are because we take on the nature of Christ. We are an apostolic people, which means sent ones. I, I, I don't want you to bring your non-Christian friends here. I want to send you out to where your non-Christian friends and family members and work colleagues are and that you might take the gospel to them. Because the chances of them showing up here is slim. In our day and age, people just aren't interested. They'd rather go supboarding on a Sunday morning. Go have smashed avo on toast, you know, something like that. So yeah, next week, everyone's like, oh, smashed avo on toast. Sounds like good. That's it, yeah. So, um, that, that's what they'd rather do. So we have to take them. We have to be sent ones. We have to go. We can't wait for them to come. We have to go. And that's God's intention is for us to go, for us to be sent. Amen? But you might say, well, I'm not a preacher, Brad. Yes, you are. You might not be able to stand up in front of a large group of people and articulate yourself in a particular way. You, you are a proclaimer of the goodness of God. Every one of us can proclaim how good God is. And if you can't, then you either don't believe in his goodness. I mean, if you're mute, you can write it down. Like, I'm, Unless you have some, you can't actually speak it out. There are other ways that you can communicate that. But I'm saying... It's not about how well you articulate yourself. It's about how authentically you express the experience of God that you've had. Every one of us can do that. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 says, but you are a chosen race. Say, I'm a chosen race. Say, I'm a royal priesthood. Say, I'm part of a holy nation. Say, I'm a person for his own possession. Say, that I may proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's who you are. You are one that may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's not about teaching somebody into the kingdom. Our job is to proclaim the goodness of God. We just sang that I'll sing of the goodness of God. I'll just speak it out and declare it and invite other people to experience that through what I'm sharing and how I'm living and what I'm releasing. I do remember a time we were, um, me and another guy, 
we were, I don't know how we ended up in this context. It was like the friend of another lady that we'd kind of been ministering to on the streets and uh, we're sitting at this person's house and just start just sharing with her about the goodness of God and, and just God, God loves you, God is so good and just, you know, just sharing the goodness of God with this lady. And, and her response was, this is, this is amazing what you're saying to me. This is seriously amazing. And she said, you guys need to write this stuff down. You need to like seriously like write it down like and print it off and then go and put it in people's letterboxes. And she was genuine. She'd never heard of this good God that we know and love. She'd never experienced that before. No one had come to her to tell her about this good God. I've had many experiences of that. We we have we've been under a teaching that has spoken of a generation that's been opposed to God. I think that generation has passed. And I think the generation that's coming through now is a generation that doesn't know him. They kind of would know about Christians and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. They don't know the gospel. They don't know the goodness of God. They just don't know about God. And oftentimes I think we can be a bit hesitant. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to talk because they might reject me. Get over yourself. Um, you know, they might, they, they might not have a good response. The chances are they, they might have never heard what you have to say. So we automatically think the message is going to be rejected, which usually is more about, I'm afraid that I'll be rejected. It's true, yeah? We get, we get afraid to share things because we don't want to be rejected, which means we're okay with them being rejected by God when they stand before him. Oh, yeah, I'm okay with Jesus rejecting you as long as you don't reject me. I don't want to live in that place. I don't want that to be a barrier for me. I want to be telling people about Jesus, declaring the, the goodness of God, proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. And if someone rejects me, at the end of the day, I have to be okay with that. But I don't think people will. I think we can do it in a way where we get too involved in it and then we take it personally. The gospel isn't your message, it's God's message to the world. But I think when we love, when we live integrous lives, when we serve people, when we're not doing some sort of bait and switch type thing or just coming in and, and yelling at people, you need to repent and you're going to burn in hell if you don't pray this prayer. I think the world will respond really, really well. They responded to Jesus really, really well. Significantly better than what the religious people did. So again, the chances are, if you proclaim the gospel, it'll be Christians who'll reject you not the world. So we have been sent by God. I'm wondering, have you heard the word of the Lord for you? When you hear that the words of Jesus, has it just been so many times, yeah, go and make disciples, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you actually received that as a personal calling and mission for your life? Because he's speaking it to you and he's spoken it to you, to his church, to all disciples. Don't wait for a prophetic word before you go. It's already been spoken to you. 
any word that we receive subsequent to the call to go and make disciples is, is contained within the purpose to fulfill that calling. He's called me to go to the nations. Awesome. To do what? To make disciples. He's called me to preach. He's called me to be an artist. He's called me to be a teacher. He's called, whatever he's called you to do, it's within that context and that place you go and make disciples of Jesus. So in order to go, we need to understand that we will need to go outside of our comfort zone. The call to go means going outside of your comfort zone. Just prepare yourself to that, to do things that might be embarrassing, to do things that might be scary. But if you don't do that, you'll never see the fruit of disciples being made. You'll never see the fruit of people's lives being changed and transformed. We can, we can sit around and hope that people will just rock up at our doorstep saying, hey, please disciple me, and I long for that day. It'll be wonderful. But it's not what Jesus told me to do. He said, you go. As the Father has sent me, I send you. In order to go, we must go where the Father sends us, which might mean changing your routine to go where he wants you to go. It might be disrupting your plans to go where he wants you to go when he wants you to go. Are we prepared for that? In order to go, we must go to seek and save that which is lost. All heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, the Bible says. So heaven is awaiting us going in order that they might celebrate the fruitfulness of our obedience to what is commanded. It's interesting, the Great Commission, go make disciples, and then it kind of ends with teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, which is to go make disciples, teach them to obey, and it's this circular thing. And the reality is I've, I've shared the numbers with you before. It would take... I think somewhere around 35 years, if just you made one disciple a year and trained them to make disciples, okay? So you, and you have one person with you, okay? First year, you make disciples, okay? Second year, the two of you go and make one disciple. Third year, the four of you go and make one disciple, okay? It's called, it's an exponential growth kind of thing. In 20 years, 1.034 million people would be not just hear the gospel, would be discipled as, and as become a mature follower of Jesus. And about 35 years, the entire population of the earth would be discipled. Billions of people. Through one person discipling one person a year. So 2,000 years later, is the earth full of disciples? Is the church actually losing ground culturally, less people engaging in the life of the church? Yes, it is. But for me, I think this is part of the reason as to why. Is because we've settled for get them across the line and then hope they fend, can fend for themselves. Birth a whole lot of babies and then just say, good luck. It takes a commitment. It takes us 
choosing to participate in that process, costing us our time and our energy and our intentionality to do that. But the fruit is way bigger than anything you could ever imagine. So worth it. And when we speak of discipleship, we're talking about people's lives being transformed. We're talking about people being set free, people encountering the reality of Jesus. That's what Jesus invites us into. As we can all be here today and go, you know, I've, I've, Jesus set me free. Jesus has transformed my life. Jesus has changed things for me. But do we want to keep that and hold on to it, or do we want to release that to other people, that they might encounter this same Jesus? And maybe for you, you're like, you know what, I'm just feeling a bit dry. I'm feeling a bit lost. I'm feeling a bit stuck. That's okay. But maybe you need to choose to be a disciple. Maybe you need to choose to come alongside or even sit under some other people to say, hey, would you teach me how to follow Jesus? We need one another to do that. Come alongside some people. Find some people who you can lead to become disciples of Jesus. Because if the, if the answer to the question is, who's discipling me and who am I discipling? If the answer is nobody, then you need to repent. You need to let the Lord convict your heart and say, I'm, I'm living in disobedience to you, Jesus. And I don't want to. And the Lord is here to shift that for you today. Amen? I was going to ask the team to come up, or Andy, Team Andy. We just want to have some time where we can just let Holy Spirit speak. If you're convicted by my, by my words, that's one thing. There's no, there's no power in my words. There's power in God's word, and there's power in the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to happen. If you, if you disagree with stuff I've said, I'm okay with that. I'm being obedient to what God has said to me and what God says in his word. But I really want the Holy Spirit to just to minister to us because uh, he is the one who is, who is calling us to live this way. And he's the one who will daily convict us of his truth and this reality. So why don't you just, if it's helpful to close your eyes as, uh, as I share a bit more and then we're going to pray. I just want to share this uh, scripture, Isaiah chapter 6. And it speaks of Isaiah's vision of the Lord. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean people. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs, with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. You know, Isaiah encountered the Lord and his response was, Woe is me. As Isaiah encountered God's righteousness, he saw his own sinfulness. As he encountered God's holiness, he saw his own wretchedness. He acknowledged himself, he acknowledged his sin, he acknowledged his lack. But then God made a way to purify him in order that he could send him. The reality was there was a consecration before the commission. There was a consecration before the commission. And I wonder, are you here today saying, here I am, Lord, send me. I've heard what you said, Jesus. It's recorded in the Scriptures. And you've told me to go and make disciples. And I wonder, is your heart saying, here I am, Lord, send me? Because if that isn't the cry of our heart today, then we probably need to allow the Lord to consecrate us. Isaiah was so consumed with his own brokenness that he couldn't see the plans and the purposes that the Lord had for him. The reality is where our hearts don't match up with God's commands, it's on us to change. And we can't ignore the call of God any longer. The world needs the church to wake up and go. It's time for the church to get up and go. Because the call of God is upon everyone's life to go and make disciples. And we can all look, even as Isaiah did, we can all look at our lack. We can look at our, as, at our sin. We can look at our limitations. And it can even feel like we're disqualified because of those things. But Jesus has made a way to deal with all of our sinfulness and all of our limitation through the cross and the resurrection. He takes us, an unclean people, and He washes us clean. He restores us and He consecrates us, which means He makes us holy. He sets us apart for His work. A consecrated people are set apart for Jesus. And I know for me, I want to be a consecrated person. I want to be set apart for Jesus. Not consumed with what the world tells me I should find as important. I want what Jesus thinks is important to be what's most important to me. So I want to invite you this morning to come to the altar and to consecrate yourself once again before the Lord, to give your heart, your mind, your body and your life over to Him that He might cleanse you and restore you into right relationship with Him and fill you with His righteousness 
and His peace. But I just feel we need to make space for consecration before I pray a prayer of commission. So if you feel the Lord speaking to you, if you feel Holy Spirit tugging at you, just saying it's, you need to consecrate yourself. Why don't you come forward and we'll pray. Spirit to just to move, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, Lord. Amen. Just pray just for removal of blockage now in Jesus' name. Every spirit that would seek to block the voice of the Lord, I bind you and I send you away now in Jesus' name. But we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you convict us of our sin? Would you convict us, Lord, of our rebellion? Would you convict us, Holy Spirit, of our disobedience, God? Would you convict us, Lord, even of our deafness, Lord, where maybe we've heard this scripture a hundred times and still we're stuck, stubborn, rebellious, not obeying what you've told us to do. Lord, this isn't the only thing you've commanded us to do, but it's significant. So, Father, we repent. We repent of all of those things, Lord. Our sin, our rebellion, our deafness, our disobedience, Lord. And as we confess it, Lord, as we repent of it, God, we thank you that you come and cleanse, that you forgive us. Father, we renounce the lies that would keep us bound, that would hold us back. We thank you, Lord, that we are not orphans, that we have not been left alone, but you are with us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are with us by your Holy Spirit. And so we just thank you, Lord, for now a fresh filling of your presence, Holy Spirit. And Lord, where you have convicted us of our sin, would you convict us of your truth, Lord? Would you create a conviction in our hearts, Lord, that we would be consumed with that desire to obey you, Lord. So we receive this, that fresh feeling right now, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your peace. Thank you, Lord, for our daily bread that we can consume, that we can feast upon your presence every day. And Father, as there is a consecration before the commission, Lord, as we have come and we consecrate ourselves before you, Lord, we say, God, we set ourselves apart for you, Jesus, that we might go wherever you send us, Lord, we're willing. 
even as you say, who will go for me? We say, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me to the lost and the broken and the hurting. Send me to your wayward children, Lord. Send me to those who today are destined for rejection one day, Lord. That I might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called me out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Lord, that the fear of people being rejected by You one day, Lord, will overwhelm any fear of rejection that we might have, Lord. Even that would make a commitment, I choose to be rejected if it means that others might not be rejected by You, Jesus. And Father, I just pray an apostolic impartation over us, Lord, over this community, God, that we would live as sent ones, Lord, Even as you said, Jesus, the Father has sent me, so I send you. We say, yes, Lord, send us. That our hearts would say, here I am, Lord, send me. That our lives would be modelled after you, Jesus. That we would go. Wherever you send us, we will go, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, just to release of your authority and your power over your people, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we do not go alone, that we have not been left as orphans, Father. I just pray, Spirit of Sonship, Lord, would come and fall upon your people now. We receive Sonship, Lord, that we are sons and daughters of the King. We are no longer orphans, but we are children. And as children, we cry out, Abba, Father. Father, we see revival breaking out in different nations, Lord. And we say, Father, would You do it here? Would You you awaken Your people, Lord? Would You awaken Your people, Lord? But Father, also, would You prepare our hearts that we would disciple the nations, Lord? That as people meet You, Lord, they wouldn't be left as orphans, Father. We would say, no, we'll take them, God. We'll take them, Lord. We'll cost ourselves that they might grow in You and come to know You and learn to live in Your Kingdom, Jesus. And we choose today, yes, Lord, we will go and we will make disciples of You, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we will go. We will go. We will count the cost. to minister to us, Lord. Even as you've sown seeds of the kingdom into our hearts, Lord, we just pray protection over those seeds, Lord, and they'll continue to grow and produce good fruit, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we are not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Lord. So, Father, even if we look and we might think, I've been a Christian for so long, I've never made a disciple. We thank you, Jesus, that you forgive us of our sin that you don't condemn us, Lord. But Lord, that you would empower us from today. Things are going to change, Lord. Things are going to change. And I'm going to do it scared. I'm going to do it awkwardly. I'm going to... 
do it clunkily, Lord, but I'm going to do it. Even Father, just talking to one of my kids yesterday, and there's that line from, from Yoda. It says, do or do not, there is no try. So we thank you, Lord, that we, we're just going to do it. And we might not do it great. We might not do it as good as someone else, but we're going to do it, Lord. Because it's in the doing, Lord, that even we are shaped and we get to grow. And we get to see you reveal yourself, Lord. That we get to see signs, wonders, and miracles. We get to see people respond to your love as we go. As we live sent, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And we just want people to know how wonderful you are. Father, even as we go, we, we go sent from this place, Lord, out into the world. And just give us different eyes, Lord, even as we just might look differently at our work colleagues or look differently at the, the cashier at the checkout, Lord, or that you would just stir up love in our hearts, Lord, a love for you and a love for people. Just give us a deep love and then give us the words to say, the actions, Lord that might reveal your love and your goodness to those people. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.